Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, we talk a lot around here about the concept of spiritual formation. What are the kinds of things that shape and form us as human beings? And we've given this illustration before. I find it very helpful, especially with teenagers, as they think about their lives and how they're being shaped and formed by the things around them. It's a triangle. It's an illustration of a triangle. And each edge of the triangle is something that impacts and shapes and forms us. So on one side, you've got the stories that we believe the, that impacts a human life. On the other side, you've got uh, our habits, what we do with our time, what, you know, what kinds of things we do with our, our waking hours. And then on the other side are people, the people around us that influence us. So people, habits, and stories. Now, for a Christian, it gets pretty specific. The stories that shape and form us are the scriptures. That's how we are changed and redefined, and reality is is taught to us is through the stories of the scripture. For Christians, uh, that the the habits are what you and I might call daily disciplines. Um, the things that we do to connect with God and to connect with others and to become more like Jesus. And then the people is, uh, well, that's just Christian community. That's how we are shaped and formed by, by other Christians. And I want to talk a little bit about that third leg of the triangle, the third point, and that's people. For a large part of my life, I was dramatically influenced by by people, by Christians. In fact, a large part of my my Christian development would never have happened if it hadn't have been for one person in my life, my best friend from high school, Eric, who happened to be not just a follower of Jesus, but a devout follower of Jesus. He was a great friend, and and I think for a in a in a big way, um, I was he was my only real tether to Jesus for a long time through the latter years of high school and all through college, and almost, <laughs> it's it's hard to overestimate the impact he had on my life and the influence he had, including little tiny subtle things like this. I remember vividly a song that he once played while we were hanging out and driving in his car. He was a junior. I was a sophomore. He was a year older than, my, than me. We were driving around in his Ford Tempo and listening to a CD, which he had borrowed from the local library. He was listening to this CD from a CD player that was portable that was plugged in to a cassette player with a cassette tape adapter. That is how old I am. And I'm starting to sound a little bit like a crotchety old man. I'm not crotchety, but I am old. Anyway, we were listening to this CD. And the reason we were listening to the CD, and my son doesn't get this. He's like, well, why didn't you just download the song? Look, we couldn't download the song, all right? Not every song was instantly available for download at a second's notice, okay? It just didn't happen that way. If you wanted a song, you had to buy a CD. And the CD was like 13 bucks. And in the late 90s, that was the equivalent of $40. I didn't have $40 to spend on a CD unless I knew, A, it was an awesome CD. B, it was by an artist I totally loved. Or C, I knew for sure there was at least two great songs on it. So I'm not just going to go throwing away 40 bucks on a CD, okay? So Eric went to the library to test out CDs. And while we're in the car, we're... we're we're just driving around and and he played this song and I still remember it today. It had a giant impact on me. First of all, it's a strange song. It's a song that's kind of a mashup, what you and I might call a mashup today, of a country music artist. His name was Randy Travis, who was very famous for his very deep, low, gravelly voice. He was a country music star, but he wrote the song with a gospel acapella group called Take Six. They were a Christian group of, of friends. It was kind of like boys to men, only Christian. And take six was actually the lead singer was Brian McKnight's older brother. 
Can you believe it? Brian McKnight of Back at One and uh, One Last Cry fame. Side note, Brian McKnight might be the best male vocalist I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I remember it was like the game game seven of the National League Championship Series. The Giants were playing. It was like 2012. Brian McKnight was invited to sing in the seventh inning stretch the song God Bless America. And his version of that song was so unbelievably mesmerizing. I still think it might be the single greatest vocal performance I have ever heard with my ears. It was so smooth. It was so smooth. It was so smooth that Baby's Butts filed lawsuits for copyright infringement. It was so smooth that Jif and Skippy announced that they were going to change the names of their types of peanut butter to Crunchy and Brian McKnight. It was so smooth that Sade changed the name of her most famous song to Brian McKnight Operator. That is how smooth this song was. But I digress. Back to the story. Back to Take Six and Randy Travis. Anyway, the song that Eric played from the CD that he borrowed from the public library through his CD player via a tape adapter in his Ford Tempo. As it came through the speakers, I was shocked. Now, the reason this song struck me is because I did not listen to Christian music. This was the era of Belle Biv DeVoe and Keith Sweat and salt and pepper so there was not any christian music influence in my life and this song was a christian song explicitly take six was a christian group and randy travis was a christian and they wrote the song together and it had not only overt christian themes but to this day it was one of the songs that was most arresting i could not believe the way that these guys were singing about talking to god it deeply influenced, it, it had a tremendous impact on the way I thought. I, the idea of talking to God, the idea of prayer, was not something I ever thought about. And the way that these guys sang about conversation with God was shocking to me. And it made a deep impact on me then, and it still, even today, if I'm honest, still has its roots, and I still think about it every now and then when I think about the idea of prayer. Anyway, here's, here's how it went. I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus when I get home tonight. I'm going to tell him all about my troubles and I know he'll make them right. Then I'll ask him to forgive me for the things that I've done wrong. I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus tonight when I get home. And that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about what it means to talk to God. I've got Jay Kim in the studio. He and John Ortberg this past weekend gave incredible messages about God's desire to talk with us and the preciousness and the openness of that invitation. But I didn't want to just talk about prayer. I wanted to get practical. So I figured I'd go all the way back to 1536 with John Calvin's famous tome, Institutes of Christian Religion. It's a defining book of Christian history. And he, in that book, John Calvin is trying to give some advice to some people that he's pastoring about what it means to pray. He's got four what he calls laws of prayer, which I thought I'd go through. We talk about them with Jay, and then we'd have a discussion about what it means to pray and pray well. I think it'll be really helpful um and so with that let's just dive right in and before we do let's listen to a little bit more of randy travis and take six lord said i could call on him whenever i feel low anytime or place i needed him he would gladly go and my life has not been perfect no matter how I try, but he's never turned his back on me, and that's the reason why. I'm gonna have a little talk with Jesus. Jay, hi, man. What's, what's going on, man? 
Oh, you know. Okay, so living life. We're post Halloween, but I need to know what did your kids go for in Halloween? Oh, my daughter was. Uh, uh, she's got this little hippopotamus stuffed animal, so she dressed up as that, and she took the stuffed animal with her. Oh my her gosh, that's the cutest! So people would know what she was. And then my son went um, in the costume that every five-year-old boy this year went. He he was Spider Man. Oh, Spider Man! I was gonna say Miles Morales, though. Sure. He was the Miles Morales one, and uh, he, yeah, it's... Is he all about Spider-Man? Yeah, it's all that matters to him right now right? in his life. Yeah, I remember having a five-year-old boy, and it was all all that. Spider-Man, dude. Oh, man. We paid extra for the one, the costume that has the, the muscular features. Oh, yes, of course. It's like twice, it's double the price. Because you've the, got all that padding. And we were like, full on, let's just get the... You know, the one that's just like the yeah, thin little thin drape. Yeah. And he was not having it. No. She saw the pictures. Did you like, get the one that came with the web slinger? No, man. I'm no. joking. That doesn't exist. That'd be so cool. If it, it probably did. does, actually. You know probably I mean? not. You don't think so? I don't think that's like a real some thing. fake web slinger. Like, oh, like uh, comes out like silly string or yeah, something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. You would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah. What did you go as? I, I'm a party pooper, man. I didn't dress up mm. as anything. I'm so sorry. Can I tell you what happened to me? My wife went as a calculator. Though, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. She's a math teacher. So. I walked into Safeway. This was last year. Okay. I walked into Safeway just to get like candy or something because yeah. we we're going to uh, my daughter's friend's house and had this big thing. I wanted to come prepared. Yeah. I walked in and a guy, the, the, the clerk at Safeway looks at me and goes, ha <laughs> good one. What? And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're going as Kevin James. Oh, no. And I was not in an outfit. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Paul Blart Malkoff. <laughs> I don't. I hope that's not. Wait, what is meant. that Kevin James? Yes, that is. That's Kevin James, that right? Is. King of Here Queens. Here comes the or boom. Something? King of Queens. Yes. Yes. He's a funny man. He I, was also I, in Hitch. Not a big. Oh yes, I did see him in Hit. In yeah. Hitch. Yes. He's funny. Okay. Um. That's not what we're talking about. We're not here to talk about Halloween. About Kevin James. Oh, no. So we're certainly not here to talk about my embarrassment. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, we were talking about talking to God. But yes. Last week, we talked about listening to God. Yes. And the week before that, um, kind of just doing life with God. Yes. Um, and those two things actually are probably, that's probably enough for people to focus on for a good month or year. Um, yeah. Just the... Practicing the presence of God, yeah, and then listening. That, to, but there's another part of it. Obviously, prayer is a dialogue. Yeah, it's a conversation. So I thought it'd be interesting if we um, got super practical. Okay. And I was like, well, because you talk about the heart of it, and you and John Ortberg did a fantastic job of just talking about the heart of God and the accessibility of God. Yeah. Uh, using the the Hebrews four. Yeah. Uh, which is a beautiful verse that um, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that's been tempted. There, <clears throat> Let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence yeah. so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. A staggering verse. Yeah. Really, really powerful, really beautiful. And so different than almost any other world religion that's ever existed. Right. Unbelievable. But I wanted to talk about that because I wanted to get practical. And I thought a good way to do that is to go back in time to kind of a hero of the faith who wrote a famous uh, book called Institutes of the Christian Religion, mm. John Calvin. And what in, a title. Yeah, Institutes of the Christian Religion. <laughs> Not exactly a, a grabber. Yeah, uh, um, but you know, 
there it is. It's it's thick. It's voluminous. But uh, one part in there, John Calvin talks about what I love this. He says rules for prayer. Mm. So I wanted to go through those, get okay. your thoughts on them. Yeah. I'll, I'll, and I'll identify them. And I'll try to explain what I mean, because sometimes language slips. Yeah. So rule number one. So the reason why I think this is helpful is because if we go into it with not with, well, we'll talk about rules. Uh, it can help us in our prayers. Mm. So the first one is rule number one, Calvin says, is fear of the Lord. Mm. Um, Calvin calls Christians, first of all, to have a due sense of the seriousness and the magnitude of what prayer is. Um, but he says that, that we should be so moved by God's majesty that are we, we are, quote, freed from earthly cares and affections, and this orients us. Now, he doesn't mean afraid, like, and it was really interesting because I was reflecting on this. He doesn't mean fear like, I'm going to get punished. Right. He does not mean, like, self-preservation fear. Uh, I was thinking about this. It's, it's almost like you're meeting somebody super famous that you love. Right. And you really respect him. And I, I've done this before. Like I, Kevin James. You know what? If you were at the mall and you saw Kevin James, a certain healthy fear would strike you. Yes. I would be afraid of embarrassing myself <laughs> is what I would be afraid of or saying something stupid or, or, um, that's in all seriousness though, it's, it would be more like LeBron James. Sure. Yes. Or James Franco. <laughs> What's the most famous James? LeBron James is absolutely number. The, He's got to be number number one. one for me in terms of. So I would be afraid, or you know, you're holding a Ming vase. You don't want to drop it. There's a right. there's a healthy fear. Talk about why fear in approaching uh, humility. I guess I guess that's humility is so important in the opening in, in talking to God. Yeah, I mean, in the line you quoted, he talks about orienting ourselves. I think that's the key. We are. We need to have a particular appropriate realistic orientation when we come to God. And it's not fear as in, if I don't do this right, I'm going to be punished. Right. It's the orientation of fear as in awe and wonder. This is not like big showy lights spectacle, but it is spectacle in that we are approaching the throne of God. You know, and if he's God, that means he's got power and authority and ability far beyond anything human. And that strikes us with awe and wonder and reverence. And it's important to us in prayer because inevitably at some point in prayer, we get to that place where our need meets God's grace you know, the writer of Hebrews says it's a throne of grace. Yes. And when that happens, our need sort of cries out for a God who has power and authority and ability. So it's actually a beautiful sort of, there's a rest and a peace and a comfort and confidence that comes in that fear, that awe, that wonder. Oh, God can. I can't. God can. That's who I'm going to right now. I think that orientation really matters. I think about Isaiah when he enters in the throne room of heaven, yeah. like the very first thing that happens to that guy is he falls on his face. Right. Like there's a sense, um, Tim Keller famously says, no one stands before God. Mm. Like the idea that it, That's good. it just, it like buckles us. Right. And it's not out. Of, it, well, I guess it could be out of fear for some people. 
Sure. Uh, there would be a that kind of fear of, oh, but oh. even that is a gift. Yeah. You know, an awareness of our shortcomings, right. Which leads us to confession and repentance and right. That's a beautiful thing. But there's an awe also of this, um, that, that could, and the reason why Calvin starts with this, I think is orientation. Like even when Jesus says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. I think he's setting the stage. There's a father lens. Yes. But there's also hallowed. Yeah. Holy. Your kingdom. Yeah. Holy. Your your kingdom come. Not right. my, you know. There's a there's a something going on there. There's the prop, prop seeing ourselves properly. Yeah. In in and seeing God properly. Perhaps. Yeah. In in a with a sober realistic understanding of who we are before. Right. Who he is. You know. Which yeah. leads us to rule number two. Okay. Calvin says the second rule of prayer is insufficiency. Hmm. He says there, there's a sense of need that excludes all unreality. Wow. <laughs> I love that. He says, uh, he's, it, it, I guess what he's talking about is spiritual humility. It's a, it's a strong sense of our dependence on God in general. Yeah. And also, th- so that there's dependence, but there's also a readiness to recognize and repent of our faults or shortcomings. Right. And Calvin was here warning against this medieval idea that prayer had to be a flowery thing where we put on our best spiritual clothes in order to impress God with our devoutness of word and tone. And what Calvin is saying here is number one, drop all pretense. Yeah. Be yourself. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the drop all pretense and then we'll get to the the other part. What what, what do you think that that means? Gosh, those are such, um, you know, Calvin wrote those words hundreds of years ago, but they're so resonant, you know, we, we, and I think it's reflective of a, a lack of ongoing. It's one of the reasons why we're doing the series an ongoing life of communion with God. Yeah. That's a, a healthy dynamic, very present relationship. <laughs> you know, when, when you go, I mean, the, the reality is the, the greater the relational distance the greater the propensity for show pretense yeah. for performance, you know, you think about going to a dinner party and you don't know anyone there. Maybe it's a work party and you're brand new to that job or it's your spouse's work party. or it's your spouse's work. You party, don't know anybody or yeah, your roommates like, Hey, my work is doing this thing. Want to come with me? You're like, okay, there's a sense in which you're going to start meeting these new people. There's significant relational distance you're not really naturally letting your guard down. You've got your guard up, not even because you don't trust these people, but because you feel this innate pressure. I can't, you know, not impress. I I can't embarrass myself. I you know, Mm -hmm. which then is really interesting because the sort of assumed default posture we have is that, and this all goes back to the garden of Eden, you know, when Adam and Eve sin against God, they realize that they're naked but their nakedness was a source of great freedom and, and literal sort of transparency and vulnerability. And when sin enters the story, they hide in shame and we're hiding now. We're, we're afraid to show our true selves, but we are naked and afraid. Nice. That's a, that's a show or something. <laughs> I, I was trying to be funny, you know, but no, yeah, as opposed to naked and unafraid. I, I love that. The idea of nakedness as being known and seen, um, Right. Yeah. I mean, Dave and I are shirtless right now doing this podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> because we have relational closeness and we're not afraid. We're vulnerable. 
That's not true, you guys. It's Dave, not. Dave's actually wearing an Ohio State sweater, uh, hoodie. Yeah. Go Buckeyes. And Dave's got a whole thing, if anyone's interested, on how terrible Ohio State quarterbacks have been in the NFL. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Different podcast. Okay, different podcast. Okay. The second part, though, is I love that, dropping off pretense. And I love, actually, uh, the idea that humans were made to be uh, in the presence of God, like naked and unashamed and free. Total vulnerability, yeah. nothing to hide. Right. But then, uh, obviously, the fall, and you you hinted at it. The second part, and I love this, there's a guy named Francis Spooford. Who I whose book I did not read, but who's quoted by Tim Keller in his book on prayer, yeah, which I love. He says this. Um, he says the we have to be willing to admit that there is chaos within me, and then he has this quote, and this has helped me in my prayers. You are a being whose wants make no sense. Mm. Do not harmonize. Whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged, so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to. All at the very same time. Wow. You're equipped, you realize, more for farce or even tragedy than happy endings. You're a human. That's where we live. That's our normal experience. And that's why we need God. Mm. And I love that because it was a great line. It's helped me say to God, where is their chaos? Yeah. Or just to say, God, I feel the chaos. Right. Help me order this. And, you know, counselors even say that the only flaws that will really destroy you are the ones you can't see or won't admit, you know? Right. So talk about the idea that there's chaos within me as a as an idea of prayer for uh, talking to God in insufficiency. Yeah, I think, you know, we have to trust that God already knows. He's already very deeply aware of the chaos within us in detail, in great detail. If God knows the number of hairs that are on your head, it means that he knows the intricate details of the sin in your life. Now that's frightening on one hand because we feel naked and ashamed and we want to hide. And maybe this is a part of the fear of the Lord. There is no hiding, you know, as the psalmist writes, like, where can I go? Right. Where can I to the depths? You're there from your spirit. Right. Yeah. Or maybe that's in Jeremiah. I don't know. Uh, so it's a psalmist. It is. Yeah. 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 So and Jonah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there is no hiding, but that's also freeing. It's like, there's no hiding. I don't need to try to hide. <laughs> I don't need to come with my best self. God knows my whole self and he knows it in greater detail than maybe I even know myself. Um, so there's a freedom there. I mean, it's, you know, shame and pride, just like shame and pride are two sides of the same coin. You know, I actually think uh, vulnerability and fear, you know, are two sides of the same coin. Like it is a little bit or a lot jarring, you know, to to come with no pretense before God. But that's his invitation. And when we do it, as scary as it is, there's real, real freedom there. When, <clears throat> this has helped me because as I as I, I've, I've been taken to trying to draw or journal more to, as a way to express myself. Yeah. And one of the things I see is how chaotic I am. Right. And so what it is, is it's also a prayer for me to say, God, show me where I'm really disordered, where I'm chaotic. And then because you are not a God of chaos, but a one who creates an order, set me right. Yeah. It's, it's very much a David's prayer. Like search me, our Lord, see if there's any wayward way mm-hmm. and created me a clean heart, C- created me an ordered heart, you know? Yeah. So that's helpful. Um, 
And maybe that's it, it. You don't have to put on pretense and you can admit the chaos. Yeah. I mean, that Psalm by David is so powerful because the invitation from David to God, search me, O Lord, is an admission that God is way more insightful and precise about our own, yeah. you know, uh, chaos than even we are. He sees things that we don't. So to open ourselves up to him that way is it, godly wisdom Yeah, to exactly. ask for help. Yeah. Um, the next two rules three and four go together. Okay. And this is interesting because Calvin even admits they go together, but, and they appear contradictory, uh-huh. but he says they're not. The first is restful, trust mm-hmm. the the third rule they're actually paired together he says um we should have a submissive trust in god anyone who stands before god to pray calvin writes must abandon all thoughts to his own glory and ways mm. we are to trust in him even when things are not going as we wish them to go yeah and it's a reminder that jesus also prayed for this he said not my will but yours be done right and one of the purposes of prayer calvin says is to bring our hearts to trust in god's wisdom not in our own and in his plans, not in our ways. Yeah. So that's the first way. But then it's also paired with confident hope. That's rule number four. And this is just as crucial because as it stands beside the third, we are to pray with confidence and hope. Calvin writes, though cast down and overcome by true humility, we should nonetheless be encouraged to pray by a sure hope that God will hear our prayers Mm. and that God will answer them. Yeah. And he says that sometimes people will usually in his experience pastorally swing one of two ways they either won't ask for what they actually need um or they will um you know you have not because you um you you don't do not ask in james um or they're afraid that they'll pray for the wrong thing and mess up god's world right and he said look god will not give us anything contrary to his will and that will always include what is best for us in the long run. And that's Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. So he writes that we can therefore pray confidently that because God won't give us everything we want or desire, because he's a wise, loving God, he, quote, so tempers the outcome of events according to his incomprehensible plan that the prayers of the saints, which are a mixture of both faith and error, will never be nullified. Mm. So talk to talk about restful trust and confident hope. Um the, the reason why I asked this, I had a friend, a good friend recently, who had a, a terrible situation with a neighbor who was very, very sick. And she's the mother of young kids. And in his prayer, he, he super made me mad. He's like, God, you know, we just pray that you would heal her, you know, if that's your will. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, I know what you're doing, but I don't want to pray. I want to pray that she gets better. Yeah. <laughs> like, God knows what he's doing. Let's just pray that she gets better. That's what we want, isn't it? Yeah. We don't want her kids to be orphaned. Yeah. We want her husband not to lose his wife. Let's yeah. pray that. So talk about the different or the 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 juxtaposition between restful trust and confident hope. Well, you said earlier about Jesus's prayer, the Lord the Lord's prayer we call it or our father, you know, the the our father in Catholic traditions. Um You know, it makes sense to me when I think about my relationship with my kids or my relation, my relationship as a son to my mother, you know? Um, and I think there's a lot to say about it if we unpack it and extrapolate it and, you know, it would take a long time to discuss. 
I guess because yeah, you're talking about the will of God, yeah, and, and destiny, and all yeah. That. I guess the simplest way to put it would be we're going to the throne of grace. We're praying to a father, you know. So on one hand, it's not mechanical, it's not transactional, it's all relationship. On the other hand, relationship demands a certain level of trust um, and belief that this this person, or in this case, God, has our best intentions in mind. And that the only way to know that is to have trust in the relationship. So again, if God knows every detail of not only our sins, but our desires and our longings, it's an interesting thing. I was having this conversation with somebody else recently about... It was in my life group, actually, I think, about um, a fear of asking God for things because there's a fear that disappointment might come. Oh, like, like hedging gonna, your bets. Yeah, like I'm going to ask God for this, but what if God doesn't provide that? So I'm afraid of that, and I'm afraid it'll shake my relationship with God or whatever, so I'm just not going to ask. Which is an interesting thought because, again, God already knows. He already knows that's your desire. Which is not to say you shouldn't ask. It's to say he already knows that's what you long for. So in some ways, if you just follow that line of thinking to its logical end, it's like if, it doesn't, if the thing you're longing for doesn't happen, whether you verbalized it to God or not, if it's true that God already knows, the disappoint, the potential disappointment still looms large. Like it's still right there. So why not talk honestly with him about those things? And you can rest in the confidence of knowing that um, he loves you and he has your best intentions in mind, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense to you. Uh, you know, this comes down to, in many ways, it comes down to the question of like, if God is all powerful and he's all loving, why do bad things happen? Why does he either cause bad things to happen or why does he not at least minimize or nullify the bad things that happen? And again, this is a much longer conversation, but we live in a broken, sinful world. Humans have choice. Sin is a nexus web. It, you know, those are the words of N.T. Wright. You know, a sin across, it's like the butterfly effect, yeah. you know, like yeah, totally. we, we live in the effect of the fallout, yeah. this grand explosion that took place, you know, it's the imagery that our friend Dan Kimball uses uh, about the fallout of sin. And we live in this sort of Chernobyl of sin, you know, With and the shrapnel of yeah, the grenade of sin. Yeah. yeah. We're breathing in yeah. toxic air. Mm. That's just human experience. There's no way around that, but we know where the story is headed in the midst of all of it. God maintains his position, which is to give humans choice so that we can choose to love him in the midst of a really broken, fallen world. So when we wrap our minds around that, it's much easier to wrap our minds around it, by the way, than it is to wrap our hearts around it, especially when bad things happen to us. Um, but if we can at least begin to wrap our minds around it, our hearts slowly might follow. And ultimately what it comes down to is uh, humans have choice because God wants us to choose love, you know, a loving relationship. And if we can get, if we can embrace that reality, then yeah, we can rest and have confidence that the story's headed somewhere and uh, that somewhere is good. You know, Can we talk about the, I'd like to ask you another follow-up question about the idea of hedging your bets. Uh, for some, That really resonates with me. The idea that dis, life is sometimes very disappointing 
and things don't happen the way that you you wish that they would happen. Right. And so I've I've heard some people afraid to pray or they they come to God and they're like I'm just I know that you do stuff for some people but not not for me. Yeah. I'm not I'm not I guess I'm not one of your favorites. Mm. So they begin to hedge their bets relationally. Yeah. Like God's good and he exists and I'm going to serve him but I'm I'm not one of the ones that are are really loved. Mm. And so people begin to withdraw relationally right. and there's some deep pain and they begin to hedge their bets because of um, that thing that wasn't wrong. They're not, it's not like they're praying for a truckload of yeah. money. They're praying for something good yeah. or that they think is good or that they think they need. And God's so talk about the, the interplay of that in our, in our prayer life. Cause that can, I, I found with both pastorally and personally, that kind of a chilling effect. Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is I get it. I understand. I've been there. I wander there sometimes still, you know, a real fear and, um, and the complexity of life on earth and those questions and those doubts, does God really love and then more personally, does God really love me because his lack of response or his actual response, which is not in alignment with what I really longed for or desired, doesn't feel like love. The, yeah, the first thing I would say is, man, I get it, you know, and it's really hard and I wish I had a simple answer, but it's a complex issue. So to give a simple answer would do it grave injustice. I don't think there is a simple answer. But I think simply put, it does come down to trust in who God says he is, which is very hard. And as a loving father, I think that God is not repelled by your questions and your doubts and your hesitations and your anger. I think God, you know, he draws near the brokenhearted. So even when it feels like he's distant or you feel compelled to create distance because you're mad at God or you're, you know, all those things, that's okay. God understands. And I think he draws near you, um, in those places. And, and maybe you don't want him to cause you're angry and you're mad and that's okay too. You know, you think about, um, all of us were, you know, angsty, rebellious teenagers in some form or fashion, I'm sure. And hopefully, I know this is not true for everybody, and it's a source of great pain for some as well. But hopefully for many of us, we had the model or the example of either a loving parent or grandparent or some guardian or some loving adult figure. Maybe it was a teacher or a youth pastor or your small group leader, somebody at some point in your life maintain closeness to you even when you were just wanting to silo yourself and isolate right. and i think that's what god does except exponentially more faithfully he draws near us in that pain and you know there's no we said it in the teaching but our troubles don't trouble god you know he's near us in those places so yeah we could we could expound on the theological sort of reasoning behind it but i think maybe the most important thing to say is it's okay to feel everything you're feeling and God is not repelled by any of those feelings. He's near you. Yeah. So those are Calvin's four. Yeah. But then he ends with a coda. 
uh, it's an end. It's a rule above the rules. Hmm. He said, it's a qualification. Hmm. I love this. He says, what I have set forth on the four rules of right praying is not so rigor- rigorously required that God will reject prayers in which he finds neither perfect faith nor perfect repentance together with a warmth of zeal and petitions rightly conceived. Hmm. He says, no one has ever carried out prayer with uprightness that was due to our Lord. Without his mercy, there would be no freedom to pray. So pray 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 wow, that's good and i love it's a kind of the it's his fifth rule he calls it my rule of grace mm. that no set of rules could make our prayers worthy to be heard and that nothing we could formulate or do could give us access to god only grace can do that only the work of christ can do yeah. that and so rest on that yep and so um, um these these rules are helpful but they're but they're they're in the end the, the biggest rule is is grace yeah and i love that that's good Keller put it this way, and we'll close with this. He said, um, who would dare go into the king's chambers at three in the morning and ask for a glass of water? Right. None. None in the kingdom save one, his child. That's right. And so there's something there about that. That's good. Um, that that's the relational posture we should have. Yeah. So It's awesome. All right. Well, as you guys pray, again, we're encouraging people to be with God, to be aware of his presence, to listen, yeah, but also to talk. I think that these these rules have helped me, so I pray that they help you. That obviously, they've helped lots of people. It's, yeah. it's Calvin. Um, yep. But as we talk, um, that's, that's, that's the important thing. So thanks for being with us, Jay. Yeah, thank you. And uh, keep talking, keep listening, keeping with God. That daily yeah. examine really does work, people. It's right there. Yep. Download the wallpapers. Have it on your <laughs> phone. Disrupt your life with prayer with God. All right. We'll talk to you next week. See you guys. Bye. All right. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week when Mark Averill will be here and we'll be talking about what it means to do life with God. So that'll be an exciting conversation. We're going to continue on in our With God series. So join us for that next week and we'll see you then. Please rise and remove your caps as we honor America and our military troops around the world with the singing of God Bless America. Please welcome multi-platinum recording artist, 16-time Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and producer who has sold over 20 million albums worldwide, Brian McKnight. God bless America land that I love stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above from the mountains to the prairies to the ocean White with foam, God bless America, my own sweet home. God bless America, my.